mentioned to our class this morning that one thing I don't like to do, I don't like to take medicine before I get up to preach. Last night I had problems with my back as I've been having for quite some time, so I decided to take medicine and those things dry me out. So I have a glass of water here, so if you'll excuse me if I have to take a drink every now and then, I have to keep my tongue from sticking to the top of my mouth so I can say the words, hopefully. But I'd like you to turn, if you would, today to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. And we are beginning the 13th chapter this morning where if you're visiting with us today and we have many visitors, I'd like to welcome you again. We are in a long study of the Gospel of Matthew. I think you see by, I think this may be 145, 145th message on Matthew. So we've been here for quite some time. And we're going through the life of Jesus Christ and his teachings. And it's really just wonderful to be able to look at the Bible and to say that this is the story of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is just simply a thrilling thing for us to do. These past few months, I've been doing something that I haven't done in years. If I ever read any books, they're almost always books with theological content. They have something to do with the messages that I'm preaching or other things that I need to read. About the only thing that I don't read that has theological content is the newspaper. And I read the Press Democrat just to keep me alive because it gets my blood boiling and my heart pumping so that I'm able to tell that I'm actually living and breathing. But... um, I don't often read other things than, that, that don't have some kind of, something to do with the messages, theological things. So I started doing something a few months ago that I haven't done in years. And then I, I started to pick up some other types of reading material. I bought a Kindle and uh, looking for free e-books, which is what preachers do. You look for things that are free because you're poor. So I'm looking for these free e-books and... I have discovered that there are a lot of the old classics that are free for download. So I started downloading some of these books and started reading them. I've read two or three and started some and didn't finish them. But one that I was reading was The uh, Count of Monte Cristo. And that's a rather long book. But I discovered as I was reading that that it has a lot of theological content. And without really going into the details of that story. It's about revenge. It's about the consequences of what happens when people try to get back at other people instead of forgiving them. So the book contains some theology. Another book that I picked up that I'd read many, many years ago, and I really liked it when I was younger, was Mark Twain's book, A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. And I don't know how many have read that, but Mark Twain's book, Books often contain a lot of theology, not very good theology, but there's some in those. And uh, some people have said that Mark Twain was an agnostic. Some say that he was an atheist. Others say that he was a deist. I say that he was a reprobate, and uh, he knows better now who God is and who he must bow to. But there's a lot of theology in his books. So those types of books can be enlightening and they're entertaining. And I would never say that what you shouldn't do is read those kinds of books. I think it's good for you to read the classics. You'll find things in there that are references, they're cultural references that we still use today. And if you haven't read some of the classic books, then you're ignorant many times of what people are talking about. But I would never encourage you to let those books substitute for reading the Bible. 
And I don't care what kind of books that you choose to read, don't push the Bible aside and just stop reading the Bible. Because the Bible is the most important book that we have, the most important thing in your life. It's not fiction, although sometimes it uses fiction. It's, uh, it's not a human story, even though humanity plays a great deal of the, the, of the subject matter. It's a great deal of subject matter in the Bible, of course. It's not a natural story, even though there are 40 human authors that God used to write the Bible. But it is the most important information that you can know because it relates to your existence. It tells you what you are in the present and what you shall become in the future. And if you want to be wise, you can't afford not to read the Bible. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. God is speaking to us. And in today's message, we're going to take a look at what happens when people ignore what God says. What happens when you don't listen to God? Well, we're going to read our scriptures from the 13th chapter of Matthew. I'd like for us to look at verses 1 through 3, part of verse number 3, and then we're going to skip down to verses 10 through 17. And today, we're getting an overview of the purpose of this chapter. And we're going to get into more specifics about it and the parables that are taught in later messages. So if you'll look in Matthew chapter 13, and we do a lot of standing and sitting around here, we need to stand one more time as we read God's Word. So Matthew chapter Matthew chapter 13, and we want to start with verse number 1. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside... And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables. Now, if you'll skip down to verse number 10. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he seemeth to have. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they, seeing, see not, and and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. Father, thank you for the reading of your word today. We ask you, Lord, to give us wisdom as we look into the word and help us to understand what you'd have us to know today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I know that some of you haven't been with us throughout our study of Matthew, so perhaps I should give you just a slight word of explanation here that Matthew chapter 13 begins a monumental shift in the way that Jesus taught the people. Now, each time that 
we began a new chapter in Matthew, it just seems like we've passed a milestone. And perhaps there's none that is more significant than the one that we have here as Jesus begins to teach in a totally different way. Here he begins to teach in parables. And amazingly, his intent is as much to conceal truth as it is to reveal it. Now, that might seem like an odd statement to you that we would ever think that what Jesus wants to do is to hide truth from people. But as we get further into this narrative, uh, we've reached a place where those that have gladly received the teachings of Christ will be given more understanding of what he has to say. While on the other hand, those who have rejected up to this point what Jesus taught They're going to be uninterested in his doctrine. They'll become more confused about what he says. And Jesus makes no effort to enlighten them any further about the truths of the word of God. So we learn here that Jesus began to preach in parables. And on your listening sheet today, I've included definition of a parable. There's several good definitions we could use, but this is one of the simplest one. And this was given by James Montgomery Boyce, who said a parable is a story from real life or a real life situation from which a moral or spiritual truth is drawn. A parable is a story from real life or a real life situation from which a moral or a spiritual truth is drawn. I think another good definition is one that was given by S. Lewis Johnson. He said a parable is a simple story taken from natural life, which being placed by the side of spiritual truth is designed to elucidate the spiritual truth. Johnson said in another place that parables are very difficult to interpret. And I think that you would understand that by reading the scriptures that we just read a few moments ago, verses 10 through 17, that Jesus was able to give good illustrations, but those illustrations were not easily perceived by those who hadn't been given the ability to understand. And again, read verses 10 through 17, and that thought comes out very clearly. So as Jesus began to teach in parables, he used these real-life situations. He illustrated the truths that he wanted disciples to know. And all of these parables that we find here in this 13th chapter are designed to teach the disciples something about the kingdom of God. There are seven parables in this chapter, and they range from a man who plants a field to a mustard seed that grows into a great tree a man that seeks treasure, a man that seeks pearl, a fisherman that throws pearls or throws a, a fisherman who throws dragnet into the sea. All of those are designed to teach something about the kingdom of God. Now people write books, they write their stories. Some of those have theological content that I just mentioned, but nobody could ever tell a story like Jesus. Nobody could match the way that Jesus told stories. John Bunyan achieved his greatest fame by writing Pilgrim's Progress. And I'm sure many of you have read that. And that's one of the greatest allegorical interpretations of, of, uh, of Scripture and of stories of the Bible that you could ever read. But Bunyan was no match for Jesus. Jesus could take just very simple things in just a few words, maybe even one verse he could give a parable, and some great spiritual truth comes out of that. 
And there are people that look at the parables that Jesus had, Jesus taught, and just one verse can occupy the minds of great theologians for years and years and years trying to discover the truth that Jesus is really trying to say. And we'll find this out as we go through the parables that today, the ones that Jesus did not particularly explain, that there is a lot of argument. And we just have to sit down and we have to decide what is the meaning of this parable? What does Jesus want us to know? But we do know this, that in this chapter, the parables are about the kingdom. And what Jesus does here is to reveal new truths about the kingdom. He's not rehashing old information. He's revealing mysteries that were not known by people in Old Testament times, things that were not previously known by the Jews. Now, this is where we want to start this morning, and that is with the new revelation of the kingdom, the new revelation. Now, as you know, those of you that have been with us in our study, the gospel of Matthew is the gospel of the kingdom begins with the gene- uh, genealogy of Christ and tells us how he was descended from David, from King David. The theme of the book is the kingdom of God and how that Jesus is the one who is the king of that kingdom. And as you read through the Old Testament, you see how the kingdom is such an important issue. From the very beginning of creation, God said that man would have dominion over the earth. He intended there would be a kingdom. And he intended that there would be a kingdom come that would extend over the entire earth. And God chose a particular people, a particular nation, Israel, and said that they were going to inherit this kingdom that would cover all of the world. Now, the Old Testament contains a succession of kingdom promises that were made to Israel. The Messiah king, it said, would come and rule over the earth. And the fact that there would be such a kingdom was well understood by the Jewish people, that the prophets told about it. Even when the kingdom was failing, Israel and Israel was in collapse, the prophets kept saying, well, the kingdom will be renewed, a Messiah is coming, a king is coming to rule over us. And that kingdom would be a kingdom of peace. We have passages like in Isaiah where it tells us that the lion will lie down with the lamb. It talks about the wolf and the sheep that dwell together, the child that plays on the hole of a poisonous snake. And the intention is to show us that in this great kingdom that God is going to bring upon the earth, that and the animal kingdom will be at perfect peace with man and with each other, and men will be at perfect peace with each other. That was a long-standing promise. You can go through the Old Testament and you'll find many scriptures where it talks about this great kingdom. And so what the kingdom was going to be like, the nature of the kingdom is not really something that's in question. The Jews learned about that for centuries. They were very much aware through reading scripture of what this kingdom would be like. But when Jesus began to teach in the parables, he started to reveal to them something that was unknown in Old Testament Scripture. There's something new here that he wants to tell the disciples about his kingdom. Now, we want to look then first at the mystery of new information. It's not information given in the Old Testament. It's not a mystery like Sherlock Holmes mysteries where... A person has to have a magnifying glass and do the detective work and discover what it is that God wants us to know. And there are people that search the Old Testament in that way, search the scriptures in that way. That's 
what Harold Camping did last year when uh, he made the prediction of the second coming of Christ. He thought that he was smart enough that he could do the detective work and he could find the clues and he could find the hidden meanings. He could find the interpretation of numbers. And finally, he came up with a date that he said the world was going to end or when Jesus is coming back. Well, he didn't know that date. That's not a mystery that can be found out. And we're not talking about a mystery here either that could be found out by anyone searching Old Testament scriptures to come to the knowledge of this. So this is what Jesus does in the chapter. He teaches about the kingdom in parables, and his intention is not to show the character or the nature of the the kingdom. They knew that, or they should have known it by reading the Old Testament. But the great mystery is the timing of the kingdom the timing of it when will this kingdom come and that was very confusing to them their understanding by what they could get out of the old testament was that when the king came when the messiah came that the kingdom would come with him And so if Jesus is the messiah then they have to be right on the verge of this kingdom happening but they didn't know the timing of it And as we look at verse number 17, Jesus said the prophets, uh, the religious people, the righteous men of the Old Testament, they desired to know about this, but they didn't know it. They had their dreams, they had their visions of the Messiah, but it was these disciples, these special ones that Jesus chose out. And he said, I have chosen you to reveal this to. The Messiah was in their midst, and so they were blessed that they could learn from him. And they could begin to understand what the kingdom of God was about and when it would come. Those Old Testament prophets often wrote down their prophecies, but they didn't really understand what those prophecies meant. And this is what Jesus is going to do here. Explain these great truths that great prophets didn't know. Now, here's the truth of the kingdom that we're going to learn from the parables, and that is the immediate interval in the kingdom, the immediate interval. Now, what is immediate interval? Well, it's not the time that's the beginning. It's not the time that's the end. It's the time that's in between. And what Jesus is about to explain here is that when he came as the Messiah, the promised one who would come, that it was not time to begin his kingdom right then. Instead, there would be an interval of time from the time that he ascended into heaven after the crucifixion until the time that he comes again, there's this whole period that is immediate interval of the kingdom. And during that time, we have to be sure to understand this, that God has a kingdom. God's always had a kingdom. Every, everything that exists is in God's kingdom or ever existed is in God's kingdom. God's the one who rules over all. He's the sovereign Lord over all. He's the creator of all. He's the universal king who was and is and always will be. But as one writer has said, when, when he's not here at this particular time, that he is the king in abstentia. When he's not on the earth, there's this interval of time when he is still the king, but he's not ruling right here in that physical kingdom. And so it's important for us to understand what is it that God's doing in this interval of time when the king is in abstention, when he's not here, when he's not upon the earth. You know what this time is? I think most of us do. This is the time of the church. And that is the mystery 
that these disciples didn't understand. It was the mystery of what he was doing right then, that he was preparing his disciples for ministry after he died. And this time period that would take place until he comes again, until he returns to this world, is the period for the church. This is the period where God works through his church. Now, the church is not the kingdom. The church is in the kingdom. And during this time while Jesus is away, there would be a tremendous growth in the kingdom of God. Now, next week, we're going to see how this time is a time for the gospel to be preached, how it's time for the nations to learn about Jesus Christ. The first parable is about sowing seeds of the gospel. There's a parable that talks about how a mustard seed, the tiniest of seeds, grows into a great tree. We have a parable about a net cast into a sea and great numbers are brought in. All of those tell us it tells us there will be growth in this kingdom. But there's something else that Jesus says in the parables as well, and that is that during this time, wheat and tares will grow together. And those wheat and tares will have to be separated at the end. And maybe you don't understand that yet, but what he's talking about, that in this kingdom that we're living in now, there will be both the people of God and the people of Satan that are living side by side. And when the end comes, God will have to separate out those that are members of his kingdom from those who are not members of the kingdom. And that's the great division that will take place at the end of the world when God takes his people home and then leaves others who haven't received him to suffer for their rejection of Christ. But in this particular period, we're talking about the church, and God has his church here upon the earth, and if you want to be positioned correctly in God's kingdom, you need to be a part of God's church. You can't say that it's unimportant. You can't say there's no need to be a part of it. Jesus is teaching in this chapter that his church is the proving ground while he's away. His church is the place where his work is carried on. This is the place of his blessing. This is his movement among the people of the world. It all takes place within the church that God has left here to carry on his work. But I want to caution about this. this is not par- these aren't parables about the church. They're parables about the kingdom. And it's all about what happens in this interval of time between the ascension and the second coming. And that's the truth taught in seven parables in this chapter. And so we have a teaching opportunity as Jesus reveals truth to his disciples. But there's a problem. There's a real problem. And that is with the revelation of the new kingdom... And this different form of the kingdom, there are various responses to the information. People respond to this information in different ways. Now, verse number 17 gives us the reason that Jesus taught in parables, and it has to do with the respondents to the kingdom. In verse number 10, the disciples ask, Why do you teach in parables? And Jesus answered, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Now, I said in the beginning of the message that there, there's a monumental shift in the method of Jesus' teachings before he taught everybody on the same level. He looked into the eyes of the scribes and the Pharisees, and he taught them about the Sermon on the Mount, things that they'd never heard before. He gave them the opportunity to believe. They heard the interpretations that he gave, and they were amazed at what he had to say. He performed miracles to verify that what he said was the truth. 
And they gladly received the miracles, but what they didn't like was the doctrine that he taught. They were opposed to his doctrine. And so opposition against Christ kept growing and growing. And going back to the 12th chapter that we previously studied, there we find that the opposition grew so great that they claimed that Jesus was in league with Satan. Here you have the Messiah king, king that is there upon the earth, and yet they rejected him. And so there comes in this twofold purpose for the parables. Some of them are par- for some of them rather, the parables are for enlightenment. They're parables of new truth. But on the other hand, the darkness grows worse and worse for those who do not believe. And again, it may shock you, but this was deliberate on the part of Jesus to hide truth from those that reject and give more truth to those that are believers. That comes out very clearly in this passage. So we learn then two important truths from these verses. And the first one is that truth is concealed to those that reject. The truth is concealed to those that reject. And there was flat-out rejection of truth. They had their opportunity to believe. The gospel had been preached to them. Remember how John the Baptist started out and he told them that the kingdom of heaven was at hand? And then John the Baptist baptized Jesus and when he was baptized, there was a voice that came from heaven. God the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And there was the visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit coming down as a dove and resting upon him. Then Jesus chose the apostles. And in chapter 10, he sent them out and there were ample opportunities for people to hear the word of God and to believe. They heard about the kingdom then, but they soundly rejected what was told them. And so the gospel fell on deaf ears. Do you remember how Jesus said, if the wicked cities of the Gentiles had heard this same message, they would have repented. He said, if Sodom and Gomorrah, if they heard what you heard, they would repent of their sins. He said, the wicked Gentile city of Nineveh heard the message and they believed, but you won't believe, you won't repent. And so they wouldn't turn to him. And so now what does he say to them? No more truth. No more truth. No more wasting time with your hardened hearts. But you see, they still came to hear They still liked the miracles that he was doing. And so what Jesus did then was to switch the teaching up. And so no longer does he speak directly to them in easy-to-understand statements. Now he hides the truth in parables that he intends only to give to his disciples. And so they don't understand what he says. He's explaining the kingdom. He's explaining what prophets didn't know. And these people have no ability to understand this truth. So what Jesus was doing was snatching the truth from their eyes and from their ears. Look again at verse number 13. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And then he goes back to this prophecy in Isaiah and explains what happened to Israel then, that they wouldn't listen to the prophets, that that. They were called, the people were called to repentance, and yet they kept worshiping their idols. They kept making gods with their own hands. They kept rejecting these tender, pleading calls of God to come back to him. And so what happened to Israel? They lost the kingdom. First, the Assyrians came and whisked away the ten northern tribes. 
Then the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, they were also taken away. They were taken away by Babylon and went into captivity. And God had sent them prophets, and God said, come back. God said, come to me. And they beat and they killed the prophets, and so God took the kingdom away from them. And this is what we see happening here. The Messiah King is now in the world, and they keep rejecting him. The harbinger of Christ has said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he meant that the, that the Messiah is right now ready to burst upon you. And Jesus came, and there he was in their midst, and they rejected him. Just like their forefathers had done, they rejected him. They said, we're not going to have this man to reign over us. And so what did they get? They got the withdrawal of this gracious invitation from God, and they began to experience the vacuum of further spiritual enlightenment. Verse 15 says, For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. So they kept rejecting truth, and what God did was to take the truth away from them, and here Jesus now hides it in parables. And you see what's going on here? This is what happens when you keep rejecting the gospel of Christ. Some people have heard it dozens of times and they still haven't believed. They keep turning from it. And each time that you turn from a gospel message when it's preached to you and you do not believe, your heart grows harder and harder and harder against God. It keeps getting worse. You could come to church a thousand times and go away from here and hear the same message and the same gospel preached again and again and again and you simply will not understand it. You never will have understanding. Because there comes a time when God says, I will not let you understand. You've turned your back on him too many times, and so God says no more. The scriptures are very clear about this, that it's the responsibility of people to believe. God says he has commanded all people everywhere to repent. And if you keep refusing that message, then God says no matter what happens, I'm not going to let you understand it. And this is the place these people had reached. Now, folks, you can, you can look at that. You can size this up. You can turn it upside down. You can flip it over. You can examine it from every, every angle that you want to examine it. You can be puzzled about it. But the truth of the matter is that the same Savior who said, Come unto me, can say to you, and he does say to you, You cannot come because you would not come. And this is why... They don't come because God gives no desire. Now, that's a hard doctrine, and there are many people that don't like it, but I challenge you to refute it because Jesus said this. He said, it's not given to you to know the mysteries of God. And so God shuts it up. He conceals it. And the only way the light of the gospel of Christ ever reaches anyone is for God to remove the blindness of the heart against it. Now, on the other hand, We have this great spiritual truth that the truth is revealed to those who receive. Verse 12 says, For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Now, let's, let's take the second half of that first because it goes with the previous point. Whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. That might be a little bit hard to understand, And I think that we're enlightened to the meaning of that statement by another scripture that Jesus gave. 
He made this statement in Luke 8, 18. He said, Take heed therefore how ye hear, for whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. The Jews seemed to have the kingdom of God. I mean, if you had been present right there in in Jerusalem and Judea and Galilee at the time that these Jews were ruling, there you would see people that said, we know God, we worship God, we know all about him, we've got the scriptures, we understand it. But they didn't actually know anything at all about God. When Jesus came, they fully rejected him. And so what God did was to wrench away the kingdom from them. It seemed that they had it. But they didn't. And they thought that when the promise of a new kingdom came, that it would be theirs and they could keep it, they could live in it, that it would be their kingdom. But God says no. He took the kingdom away from them and he gave all hope or took away all hope that it would come to them. Remember what the Apostle Paul said, not everybody that is of Israel is of Israel. And so here is Jesus taking away what they thought they had. They thought the promise was theirs, but they rejected him and the promise was taken away. Now, on the other hand, we have this wonderful truth that those that receive the truth of God's word, those who listen to the gospel, those who take in the message of the king and they believe it, when they receive the simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God says more truth will be given to you. Verse 16 says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. So these disciples were blessed to live in the time of the Messiah, and they were blessed to receive more truth from him. And so he taught them in the parables, and with these real-life situations, they, they received a revelation of truth. And the more that they trusted and the more that they were willing to hear, the more that they applied themselves to this truth, God gave them more truth. And you know the same is true today? The very same thing is true today. Now some are Christians that are content to hear very little and to know only little. Some are content that they've heard the gospel once, they have believed, and now they say, well, I'm safe And I'm on my way to heaven. I don't really care to know much more. And some of you may listen to me preach preach today and you completely miss the point of what I'm saying. It flies over your head. You really don't understand the importance of the text that we're reading. You don't understand the implications of it. And you know why? Because you were content with just a little. You were content with a little. You stopped. You stopped applying. You stopped reading your Bibles. You stopped praying you stop being concerned about your daily life living for christ and so now your growth is stunted there is no growth there and so you're sitting there as a christian and you know very little beyond just the elemental elementary things of the gospel just very simple things and you really don't understand the doctrines of god's word now i fault some of that from the training that you have received from pastors that were content to stick you with one type of message or two types of messages. Many times those will be just a salvation message. That's that's all you ever hear. Salvation messages are good. People need to hear about how to be saved. There's no doubt about that. But a Christian can't sit week after week after week after week and only learn the salvation message. 
And then on top of that comes behind it some kind of a message about Christian living, which is also good. You need to know about Christian living. But being a Christian and knowing about Christ and knowing him deep in your heart and understanding him is more than the clothes that you put on your back. You have to know more. And so what happens is that nobody really really broke the Bible down and, and broke down the verses of Scripture and said, this is God's Word, these are the doctrines, here are the backbone doctrines and issues of the Christian faith, and this is what you need to know. Well, you don't have that excuse anymore. I mean, you have the opportunity to hear God's Word, and if you want to understand more, then more will be given. There's more here. And some of you might gripe and complain, and you say, why do you give us doctrine all the time? Why do you give us doctrine? Well, you'll never understand much more if you haven't received the doctrines of God's Word. You see, when truth is revealed and you receive it, then God gives you more truth. Several weeks ago, I used the example of the Apostle Paul who had one goal in mind. He said, I need to know more about Christ. Now, he was a man that put a lot of energy into his former religion, a lot of zeal and energy into what he was as a Jew, which was a false religion, He didn't believe the truth about Jesus Christ, about God. He was a star student of the Pharisees, but then God saved him. God brought him out of that. He brought him from the darkness into the light, and then Paul began to apply himself with all of his energy and all his zeal into learning everything that he could about Christ. And so he was consumed with the knowledge of Christ, and finally he came to the place where he said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. But there are those who have no energy for Christ. You have the guy that says, well, I'm okay with a church that doesn't teach anything. What do I need to know doctrine for? Why do I need to understand justification and sanctification and imputation and and predestination? Why do I need to know those things? Those are just a bunch of big words, aren't they? We don't really need to know that. Well, here is the purpose, to receive more truth... You have to believe what's already been revealed. And if you're content to live on the bottom rung of Christianity, then you're going to be troubled by a lot of things. What does the Word of God say? The truth shall set you free. And what does it set you free to do? To live a full and satisfied Christian life. So if you want to know more, what do you have to do? Live in the truth that you've been given. Practice the truth that you've been given. And God will give you more truth. You know, I can tell people that are really interested in this. There are people who keep coming back. There are people that take every available opportunity to hear more. Someone once asked me, what does it say about our church that we don't take more opportunities for worship? And I have a better, a better question. What does it say about our church when we don't take the available opportunities that we have? But I have some really good news in this. You, you may have thought that this first part of that first part of the message where I talked about respondents, that what God is doing, he's busily blinding people to the truth, that this is what God does. We're in this intermediate stage of the kingdom, and it's God's purpose to blind us to his truth. That's not it at all. Haven't I just said that the kingdom is about growth in this stage? This is about growing the kingdom of God. And how does the kingdom grow? People hear the gospel of Christ, and they get saved. We are living in a day of grace when God is calling people to come to him. The gospel is widely preached. 
And what you're going to learn over the next several weeks, both Sunday mornings and Sunday nights as we get further into this, that we all should be sowing the precious seed of the gospel. And we're going to talk more about that in the first parable. There is fertile ground out there, and God promises that if you take the seeds of the gospel and you plant it in that fertile soil, that God will make it grow and people will be saved. And so this time will be a time of tremendous growth in the kingdom. We thank God that we're living in a time of mercy when vile, wicked sinners can be brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And you say, well, who are these vile, wicked sinners? Don't go out looking for them. They're right here. Right here among us. Everywhere you go, you'll find them. We were those people. The Bible says we've all gone astray. We've all gone against God. We're all our own little God. We're stubborn. We never desired God to rule over us. But what has happened is the God of grace has come and he has revealed himself to us. And he says, listen to me. And when you listen to him and you believe what you are and you believe who he is, then he'll change you. Take the truth of the gospel, and I promise you there is more truth to come. Now, you know where I want to be? I want to be in verse 16, not verse 13. Verse 13 says, Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. I don't want to be there. I want to be in verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears for they hear. I want that blessing. I hope you want that blessing. And the way to get it is not to be stubborn about what God says. If you are, if you keep rejecting the message of Jesus Christ, then these parables remain hopeless riddles. I mean, you can read them. Maybe you can read the explanations. Maybe you can go hear a preacher and he'll explain to you what the parable means according to his interpretations or a commentator's interpretation, whatever it might be. But even though you have it, doesn't really mean anything to you. It has no impact on you. So you come and you go, you come and you go, and nothing really ever happened. You're the same as you were. What you have to do is take God's word and appropriate it for yourself and understand it and believe it. And the more that you, re- the more that you believe it and trust in that, the more truth that God will give you. Now I'm at the end here and I want to read just a couple more verses of Scripture that I think are pertinent to the discussion. They're actually the part of another parable that we'll get to later. Verse number 41 says, Matthew 13, 41, The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. You know what that last phrase means? It just simply means this. What you have heard, believe. Believe it. And this is the only way that you're going to receive more knowledge of God. Heed, hear and heed the message of Jesus Christ. You see, these two verses tell us that in the end there is a separation coming. And it says, those that hear and believe will shine with God. They'll be taken up and shine in God's kingdom. And those that do not believe will suffer the vengeance of an eternal fire. That's the separation that's coming at the end. And it all depends on how you receive the information of the kingdom. Do you believe it or do you reject it? 
That's where the separation comes. And we encourage you, trust Jesus Christ now. Believe him before God decides to pull the truth back and says, you've rejected so many times that I'm not going to let you understand it. If you're hearing me now and you have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, right now you can say, I will believe. I want to trust Jesus Christ. And I can promise you this. If you say that, you have absolutely full guarantee from God's word that he'll save your soul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truths that Jesus taught and how that having believed in him in this initial act of salvation that now you begin to reveal more truth to us. We are so blessed to be able to to come to church and to hear the word preached and then, Lord, to act upon that word that we hear. I just pray, Lord, you'd speak to someone's heart today. Make this message real to them. May, May they not just hear it and leave and say, it really doesn't matter. I won't do anything about it. No, work in people's hearts and bring them to you. We pray that people will believe the gospel. And then for those that are saved here, I pray for them that as they've heard truth preached and doctrines preached, that they hear and heed and act upon those things. And we know, Lord, they will grow in the depths of their Christianity and know you even better and have fulfilled lives as they obey your word. Thank you, Father, for these things. We give you the praise for all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.